You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. John chapter 17. John chapter 17 has a prayer of Jesus. Jesus is on the garden, uh, uh, at the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prays for unity in the churches. And uh, I think that's a pretty big deal, that we as Christians and churches should be united. Don't you think it's a good idea? Me too. Uh, And so today, just to kind of give you a heads up of where we're going today, we are continuing our our talk on the Holy Spirit. And today is an interesting talk because we're going to just dive in and talk about something pretty controversial. Uh, We're going to talk about the difference between what a non-charismatic believes and what a charismatic believes according to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And before we dive into that, I think just the bigger point of today, like a bigger kind of my heart for today, is that we will be that we will know the differences between charismatic and and non-charismatic, and that we will still be unified as the church, because that's what Jesus calls us to do. And so if you turn to John chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus prays this. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. He's speaking about his disciples. He just finished praying over his disciples. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those that might believe in me through their message. That's all of us. You know, the disciples told other people about the faith, who told other people, who told, you know, your best friend in high school who told you about the faith. So, Jesus is praying for us right now. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. Chapter uh, 17, verse 21, that all of them may be one. Everybody say one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity. See that word there? Complete unity. That's important to Jesus. It's important to God. To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them as I have, as you have loved me. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we do pray unity over us as Christians, as denominations, as there's so many different types of churches. God, we pray unity God, that is our heart because we know that, that your heart is, is one of unity, that we can be united and, and give thanks to you um, all together, that we can unite as the church on this earth and give you glory. And so, Father, this morning we praise you. We worship you as we study uh, what it means to be charismatic. We love you, God. We thank you for being here. And everybody screamed. Amen. 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 Well, I, I've been to a whole bunch of churches in my days. Um, I've, I've actually been a member of nine different churches. That's a lot of churches. Uh, and I, it's not that I'm like compulsive church shopper, like I'm always like checking out and always moving churches, um, because I think that's silly. If you're like always in the, you know, always never have like a home church, you're always kind of like, oh, I like this church and I'm going to go to this church and I'm bored with this church now, so I'm going to check out this other church. I think that's silly. I think you should plant yourself in a church and then serve there, that the church just doesn't exist to entertain you, but you can serve the church. Anyways, separate point. I've been a part of nine different churches because I've, I moved around a lot. My dad was in the Air Force, and so I was raised as a Catholic, and then I got saved uh, at a youth, uh, youth, it was like a youth uh, 
I don't know, youth group, I guess, from, from a church. There wasn't really a church associated with it. It was, like a, it was a non-denominational, non-charismatic church. And then from there we moved, and I went to a Southern Baptist church, and then I went to a Calvary Chapel church, and then I went to an independent Baptist church, and then I moved and spent several Floridas at a United Methodist church, and then I went to Assemblies of God church, and then I was, for one year, I was a youth pastor at a uh, pr- little Presbyterian church, and now I'm a pastor at a non-denominational charismatic church. Woo! Round of, round of applause for churches. And, uh, and I think just from being at all those churches, maybe, maybe you've been to more churches. I don't know what your record is of how many churches you've been a member of. But uh, I, I can tell you that out of all those churches, uh, being charismatic or non-charismatic should, wasn't and should not be the judge of, is this church a good church or a bad church? Is this church a part of the universal church or is this church not part of the universal church? I think unity is really important. I think believing in Jesus, that's, that's the foundation of any Christian church. And so what today we're going to talk about is this charismatic versus non-charismatic. And honestly, I don't know where a lot of you are at. I think a lot of you maybe come from churches that are non-charismatic. So you're kind of looking at new life like, yeah, what really does new life b- believe about gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that today. And, so, and then we're also, maybe you've been coming to charismatic churches your whole life, and you're like, man, what, what does it mean if you don't believe in the charismatic gifts? And, and what arguments do they use to say that the gifts have ceased? We're going to talk about that today. Sound fun? Okay. Fun enough. And uh, so, as I was preparing this message, uh, I was actually preparing about a month ago, because um, I've just been really thinking, this message has been on my heart this, to articulate it well, the differences between charismatic and non-charismatic. Uh, I, was, I, I got an email from a church here in town, Vista Grande Baptist Church over on Powers, and they, they invited me to attend a planning committee for a conference that they're doing. And I get a lot of invites, as a pastor of New, of New Life and with the mill, I get a lot of invites from other churches like, uh, come be a part of our conference, or could you tell the mill about the, the thing that we're doing? And a lot of times, I have to say no, because I'm like, you know, we're doing, we're doing this, and, you know, we can't do everything. If we do everything, then we're not doing nothing. And so, you know, we have our own conferences here. We have Desperation Conference. So usually, uh, sometimes I just have to say no to a lot of different things. But as I was preparing for this message, and I got that email from Bistagon, Bista Grand Baptist Church, I thought, I want to go. I want to practice this idea of unity and just being united with other churches here in town. And even though the, this Baptist church is a Baptist church, which uh, kind of by definition, if you want to say it that way, is probably not charismatic. And so there's different, you know, they could be very anti-charismatic or they could be just be like, no, it's not for us. I think that church is like, eh, it's not for us. And so I went to their planning committee for this, this uh, church conference that they had, and it was just awesome. There was like 30 people representing different churches. I had my little name tag. It said Joe. It said New Life Church. And as I greeted people, I, I think I learned something about New Life. That, that people really have a, a kind heart towards New Life Church. Because I think in the past, maybe like years ago, New Life was seen as this big mega church, and I think people probably joked about, yeah, I know New Life. Uh, I, we had a bunch of members that are now members of New Life there, and there's kind of like this joke about, oh, yeah, that's where all our members go <laughs> to New Life. Um, and there's like, well, we're you know, just one of those mega churches. But I think after, many of you know, this, you know, a couple years ago, our, our senior pastor fell. And just, uh, was it last year, two years ago, the, the shootings that happened here? People have a, I think just have a, 
a kindness towards New Life. And so as I was meeting people, I'm like, oh, I'm Joe from New Life. Several different other people said, you know what, we're praying for New Life. New Life, we've been praying for New Life. And they'd say something, several of them said something along the lines of, we know God's doing something at New Life because, you know, your churches stay together. And so New Life, I think we as New Lifers have a special place in this city. People aren't anti-New Life like potentially they once were, just thinking we're just big church up north that didn't care about anybody. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think we have a unique place. And so what's cool about this is that I, I met this, the, the singles pastor at this little, the, of this church, Vista Grand Baptist Church. And uh, I was meeting him. I think his name was Daniel, I believe. And, and I said, you know, I'm from Joe from New Life. And he said, oh, are you the, the, one of the pastors of the mill? And I said, yeah, cool. And he said, he said, well, I already know Aaron Stern. Me and Aaron Stern have lunch once a month with a bunch of other pastors of singles and college ministries in Colorado Springs. And I was like, of course you do. It's Aaron Stern. He's, he's just like pastor of unity uh, all over college. I didn't even know. And isn't that cool? That, like, I didn't even know that Aaron had lunch with like a group of pastors from around the city once a month. I just found that so cool. And, and as I share this message, um, uh, about charismatic versus non-charismatic. I think I want to give the podcast of this message to some of my friends that are either Baptist I, or I know some Presbyterians that are not charismatic and just ask them, did I represent you guys well? Did I give you respect as I represented your viewpoint about non-charismatic stuff? And, and we'll see. Maybe they, they might say, no, nah, I would have added this or no, nah, you offended me. I don't know. Hopefully, I mean, I want to give it to them and say, what do you think? And, and I, hopefully it'll be respectful and 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 honoring of, of their viewpoint. So, anyways, uh, announcements. Um, if you're wondering, that conference that I just mentioned, it's on the back of your, the skillet. It's, it's, a, it's a conference for Christian singles of every age and season. There's kind of a little description there. And then it's got uh, singlesrevolution.org. You could visit that website. It's, the conference isn't until September, but uh, I'll be there. as just a showing that, you know, I, I, I believe that God's doing something in the city and uniting churches, and I want to be a part of that. So, anyways, that's that. Um, uh, other announcements are if you're newish, there's little cards on your table that say, uh, I think it says get schooled first timer card. You can fill that out. Give it to the nice people in the back as you leave and they will give you a visitor CD for coming and uh, just our way of saying thanks for coming. So shall we dive right in? This is going to be kind of a, so some lessons are very spiritual. Some lessons are more teachy and heady. This lesson is going to be a lot more teachy and heady. I'm going to list things and kind of outline it for you. And so if you have notes, if you don't have one, maybe you should go get one there in the back. Or, uh, it's, I've kind of organized the, the non-charismatic view with a biblical argument, a historical argument, and a practical argument. And then on the other side is the charismatic view. Biblical argument, historical argument, and a practical argument. So we're going to go both sides. And I hope, I, one of my hopes is really to talk about both views in a respectful way and say, and, and if some of you are in here from a more traditional or a non-charismatic church, maybe you could come afterwards, up afterwards and say, you know what, you, re- you represented it pretty well. Or you could scream and shout and say, no, that's not how we do it. Either's total be <laughs> acceptable. Anyways, uh, all right. So the non-charismatic view. This view uh, is often called dispensationalism. It's often called uh, cessationism. And so coming from this idea that there's dispensations. You know what a dispensation is? A dispensation is an age. And so uh, if you're a dispensationalist, you would say or very agree with the idea of like the Old Testament, you know, 
was a dispensation, then the New Testament started a new age, and so, and then uh, a non-charismatic would say there's even another age after the New Testament when the gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased. And so <clears throat> they're often called cessationalists or cessationism. So that's the view that the gifts of the Holy Spirit stopped with the end of the apostolic age, as all the apostles of the Bible, the New Testament apostles, either died or finished writing their pieces of the New Testament, the gifts of the Holy Spirit stopped. And um, some would say, oh, there's still miracles that happen today, but the greatest miracle is uh, people coming to salvation. And so they would say, you know, some of the gifts, some of the miracles, like speaking in tongues, prophesying, uh, miraculous healings stopped with the apostolic age, but the miracle of new salvations is a miracle, and it's still happening today. That's what a non-charismatic could say. I don't want to pin them all down and say, this is what they say, but many say that. Some uh, cessationalists believe that while God still does perform miracles today, the Holy Spirit no longer uses individuals to perform miraculous signs. So I was at, uh, I've been a part of a uh, a Baptist church that was non-charismatic, but they would still go to the hospitals and pray for people that were sick and ask God to heal them, but they would pray prayers like, God, uh, um, bless the doctors, allow the medicine to heal them. And they, were just, they just weren't as comfortable with praying, God, heal them right now from cancer, take the cancer out of their body miraculously. But they did pray for the miracle of you know, God being with the doctor as he performed surgery. Um, sometimes, as charismatics, and I just, to be honest, I'm a charismatic, and so I'm biased. Um, as charismatics, I've heard P- charismatics claim that non-charismatics or cessationalists don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Oh, they're one of those churches that don't believe in the Holy Spirit. And I think that's a very poor way of saying it because cessationalists, non-charismatics, believe in the Holy Spirit. They just oftentimes will say that the gifts of the Holy Spirit stopped at a certain time uh, at which uh, the, the apostolic age ended. And so they would say that today, uh, charismatic stuff that happens at churches is either fake or uh, is made up by people, or people are just not sure what's going on. It's, it's either faked, uh, or it's from Satan. And so I've, I've known very strong anti-charismatic uh, people that ha- take the position of, oh, if you're speaking in tongues, it's from Satan. It's like, well, I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> I disagree with that. But I want to I take some time and, and talk about this, this uh, view first. Um, if you could, turn to Hebrews chapter 1. I'm going to represent the biblical argument that the gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased. Is this helpful for you guys? I'm getting a lot of blank stares. Is everybody okay? You get, did you get enough coffee this morning? Turn to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. And this, this is one of, I'm going to show you two passages that are often used by cessationalists that say uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased and, and, and they can show you in the Bible. And so this is one of the passages that a cessationalist may use in describing that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased. And we're going to go back to this passage when we talk about the charismatic view. So maybe you could throw something in there as a bookmarker. But here's what it says. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the past, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. 
And so a cessationalist will say, look, see this passage? It says, in the past, God spoke through our forefathers and through the prophets. And then it says, at this time, he's speaking through Jesus, who he has appointed. And so a cessationalist will say, look, old way of doing it is that God speaks through prophets. Nowadays, Jesus is the one who's anointed to speak, and he spoke, and he died and resurrected. And so that season has passed uh, by which our forefathers and our prophets spoke the words of God. Can you see that argument? Can you see that? I can see it. At least, you know, at least I see where they're coming from. And so here's the other passage. This passage, so put something in there to, to keep that passage and turn to 1 Corinthians 13. And this is probably a more popular set of verses to be used when explaining that uh, the apostolic age ended the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 Verse 8. And this whole passage, Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, is the passage about love. Probably many of you as a kid in Sunday school memorized love is patient, love is kind. How many of you memorized that? Anybody? How many of you had it at your wedding or will have it at your wedding? Anybody? God love you. It's a good, it's a good passage. Uh, it says this, uh, love never fails. So 1 Corinthians 13, 8 says love never fails, but, the, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Do you see that? Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. For where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfection comes, the imperfection disappears. And so a cessationalist will say, look, this passage says that prophecies will cease and tongues will cease because when the perfection comes, the imperfection disappears. And they will hold up the Bible and say, this is God's word, which we agree with, right? Is the Bible God's word? Yes, and so, but a cessationalist will say, this is God's only way of speaking today. And, and we can see in this passage, they'll point to this passage and say, that now that we have the perfect Bible, um, the, the imperfection has disappeared and tongues have been steel, stilled and prophecies have ceased because now we have the Bible. Can you see that argument from the scripture? I can. I mean, I, I'm going to disagree with it, but I can see it. I can see where they're coming from. I can, I can at least hear their argument out. Um, okay, moving on to the historical argument. So if in history, uh, at, the, at the end of the apostolic age, there, I don't, I've never heard anyone say this is the year at which the, the gift ceased. They just kind of say oh, the season of when the apostles either died or the Bible was, the, the early canon of the Bible was developed, the gifts ceased or petered out, or something like that. But, but in history, can we look back and see in history that the gifts of the Holy Spirit stopped, either all of a sudden or petered out? And there is some historical evidence for that. If you're looking for something in history, you can find some writings to prove it. And I have two quotes. One is by Augustine. Anybody ever heard of Augustine? St. Augustine, St. Augustine. You don't have to call him saint if you don't want to. Um, uh, he said this. So Augustine lived in around the 400s, 350 to, to 430, so very early on. And he said this, The Holy Ghost fell upon them that believed, and they spake with tongues, spaketh with tongues, uh, <laughs> which they had not learned, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And these were signs adapted to the time. And so here, Augustine is saying that the, the signs of tongues were adapted for that time. And so in history, we have this quote from Augustine. Interesting. Uh, there's another quote. Have you heard of uh, Thomas Aquinas? Anybody heard of Thomas Aquinas? He lived in the early Middle Ages. He, Thomas Aquinas says that where tongues were for preaching only, like Acts chapter 2, and he said, therefore, 
uh, uh, no one of, of the faith now speaks in tongues, for no one speaks in tongues of all nations because the church herself already speaks the languages of all nations. So the argument kind of goes like, you know, if you're, you want to preach the good news to, uh, in Mexico and you don't speak Spanish, instead of, you know, Acts chapter 2, speaking Spanish when you never learned Spanish, you'd call up your hombre friend who speaks Spanish and you say, would you mind telling them the, go- the good news of the gospel? And he'd say, yeah, and then they can learn it that way. Anyways, that's the argument. So if you look in history for proof that the gifts have ceased, you can find it. I mean, you could see people in history, throughout history, that have had the opinion that the gifts have ceased. And we're going to go back to this one when we talk about the charismatic view. But I, I can see, can, can you guys see, and many of you are probably new lifers, you've grown up charismatic. Can you see the non-charismatic side? I can. I can at least see where they're coming from. I can say, yeah, I understand your point of view. This next one is, to me, the most important. It's the practical argument. And this argument says... Um, if you, it just says that, you know, the charismatic stuff sometimes is a little weird. Anybody agree with me? Anybody ever been a little weirded out by charismatic stuff? I see some hands. I see some nods. There's some weird stuff. And I think Aaron Stern preached a a series. I think it, it was quite a while ago now, maybe three or three years ago now. He preached a sermon series on the Holy Who. Anybody around during the Holy Who sermon series? Sweet five years ago. It was a long time ago. And I think you could, I think we still have him in the New Life bookstore, but he opens up with this idea that says, uh, the charismatic, the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit have often been, been very poorly packaged. There's been a lot of weird stuff, a lot of weird theological things surrounding the charismatic movement. And honestly, we're sorry. Like, I, I don't know how to, I mean, there's just been some weird stuff that, that, I mean, I turn on the TV sometimes, and I'm flipping through uh, like charismatic TV stations, and I just see weird stuff. And as a pastor that's also charismatic, I apologize <laughs> for that weird stuff that, that is just lumped into, oh, all charismatics do this or that. And, um, and I'm sorry, I've been reading this book to kind of prepare for this talk. It's called uh, Charismatic Chaos. Um, it's by John MacArthur, and he is, is very anti-charismatic. He is a cessationalist. He says that the gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased with the apostolic age. What's funny is that I found this in the bookstore, Christian bookstore, in the charismatic section. <laughs> like, wait, it's, it should be in a different section. Anyways, <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Um, and so the book is it's pretty big. I mean, it's a pretty big book, 300, 400-ish pages. And he describes the biblical argument for cessationalism. He describes the historical argument that I just barely scratched the surface of uh, for the cessationalist argument. But the majority of this book is stories, stories of charismatics doing weird stuff. He, he writes about, uh, maybe you've heard, I think it was in the 60s or 70s, a guy named Peter Popoff who was a healing evangelist. And he had like a little earpiece in his, in his ear and his wife would tell him, call on Nancy so-and-so. She's got cancer and she lives at this address. And so he's listening to his wife saying, wait, God's telling me, Nancy, are you in here? Do you live at, and he would say that her address. And then he would say, you got cancer, right? Well, come on up, get healed. It just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that happened. I don't, as a pastor that's also charismatic, 
That was horrible. And then on late night, uh, I think it was like back at the, who was before Leno? Carson? On the, on the Carson show, is that, is that right? Who knows? It was like years ago before we were born. That his, the, this guy came forward and showed that Peter Popoff was a fake and, in front of national television. I mean, imagine the, just really bad examples uh, of, of charismatics doing, honestly, I mean, that situation, immoral things. Um, he writes about, in here, this, this guy, John MacArthur, writes uh, that there's a charismatic on TV that is selling miracle coins. And if you buy this miracle coin and then rub it on your checkbook, you'll get wealthy. And then when you get wealthy, you're supposed to send him back a check from that checkbook. Um, I apologize. I'm sorry that that, that, that happens. There's, there's a, he, he goes on and on. Where is that story? That's pretty, uh, kind of a funny one. You'll laugh. At least I laughed. Uh, of this healing evangelist that anything, anything he prayed for, uh, he would spit on his hand and then touch you with it. And so you're like, I have a headache. And then like, pray, pray for your headache. It's like my back hurts a little. <laughs> Heal. And it's like, I'm praying. I, help me, God. I want God to help me do my homework. It's like on the head, on the mind. He just uh, spit on everything. Every time he prayed for anything, he'd spit on people. And that's just weird. That's weird. And, and so as a charismatic pastor, I apologize that that has happened in the charismatic movement. But to be honest, um, as we are talking about the cessationalist argument, there's weird things that have happened under the umbrella of the Holy Spirit, under the umbrella of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, under the umbrella of the charismatic movement that, I mean, it just freaks people out. It's weird stuff. And people from, I know friends that are in more of a, a Baptist tradition that are like, you know what? You guys at New Life, you know, it's okay that every once in a while, you know, you pray over people, you pray for miracles, that's cool, but I'm just not into the whole hands raising thing, or I'm just not into the whole speaking in tongues really freaks people out. And, um, and they're just like, you know, that stuff is for you. I'm just going to stick with my more Baptist tradition faith that I'm, that I'm comfortable with and I'm fine with. And I, I, I tell them, that's okay. Um, and then sometimes I'll apologize for weird things that have happened under the umbrella of charismatic stuff and say that, you know, I don't spit on people every time they ask me to pray for them. I'm not listening to my wife tell me who to pray for and their addresses. I, I'm, not doing, I'm not selling you miracle coins. Have you ever bought a miracle coin from Sunday school? No, we just don't do that in here. <laughs> we do other weird stuff. <laughs> but... Um, uh, I just want, maybe this is a good discussion question. Um, the discussion question is, just to get you thinking uh, and listening to, to people around you, kind of open up a little bit. Uh, if you're around somebody, or if you're, by, if you're by yourself, just jot some ideas down. Or what are some weird things that you personally have heard about or you personally have seen that are under the umbrella of charismatic? What are weird stuff that kind of discount and discredit the charismatic movement? It could be as, as immoral as Peter Popoff doing miracle healings and, and faking that, or it could just be weird like people spitting on each other <laughs> to pray for them. Was that a, is that a good discussion question? Take like two minutes and, and kind of go around and say, here's some weird stuff I've seen under the umbrella of the charismatic. Ready, get, set, go.
grows much softer, still falling, always hurt. Only after sensing, love for always ever burns. Justified my folly, yeah, fluent disguise. Revealing nothing, nothing unforgiven lies. Unforgiven lies. And no one loves me like you. No one loves me the way you do. No one loves me like Touch the rose and fearful is to meet the thorn. Pierce the heart's emotion, feel the emptiness no more. Emptiness no more. No check, check. Let me give you like another minute. To, I know it's very short to share your weird stories, but try to wrap up in like a minute. All right, let me, let's wrap up this. Uh, that, uh, we could probably talk all day about weird stories. I know I could. <laughs> I've seen some weird stuff. Um, and, and, sometimes, and some of the stuff that we're talking about is either just weird for weird sake. I don't know what you guys told, told stories in your group or weird theological stuff or weird um, like health and wealth kind of stuff or TV evangelist weird stuff. Uh, all under this umbrella of charismatic stuff. I know there's a lot of weird things out there, and some of it's just weird for weird sake. And so to, to kind of summarize the non-charismatic view, um, I think it's because of this last one, because of the weird stuff, because of the practical argument that says, you know, some churches have gone a little too weird, and I don't want to be weird. And, and, and honestly, there's theological arguments about, you know, a church that's out of control and chaotic. You know, Paul talks in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, says that a church church should be full of order because our God is a God of order, right? So if you go to a church that's just like lots of weird stuff is happening and there's just weird stuff everywhere, then that's, that church is, you could say, that church isn't biblical. You know, God is a God of order. And Paul clearly says that a service should be ordered. And, um, and so anyways, so that's kind of the argument of a cessationalist or a dispensationalist or a non-charismatic. Uh, at least that's the gist of the argument. And there's lots of different room for, you know, some would say, oh, if anyone is doing anything charismatic, it's from Satan. And then there's another the perspective of just like, yeah, that stuff just isn't for us. I'm not comfortable with that. So that's the non-charismatic view. I want to talk about the charismatic view 
uh, for the rest of our time. And, and to be totally honest, I'm biased. I'm charismatic. New Life is a charismatic church. I would consider myself not a crazy charismatic, but, uh, but I would kind of jokingly say that I'm a diet charismatic, or I'm a charismatic light. That's what I would say, jokingly. And you, but you know what I mean by that. At least some of you do. I, I know that I personally have been to churches that are much more charismatic the New Life Church, to the point of I felt a little like, what's going to happen next? <laughs> I don't want to get spit on. <laughs> um, I, I, I just, I'm a little uncomfortable. I, here's what I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable when it comes to poor theology surrounding the charismatic movement. Let me read you a quote from this book once again. This book is Charismatic Chaos by John MacArthur. And this is a quote that, that I think he nails on the head. He says this at the beginning of his book. He says that charismatics have the tendency to test doctrine by experience and not the reverse. We should be testing our experiences with the Bible, with doctrine. We shouldn't be saying, oh, is this true or not? Let's pray about it or let's feel if we can or, or see if we could, you know, experience something that proves the doctrine. And he, I think he accuses charismatics to have a tendency to test doctrine by experience instead of the reverse. And I think that's, that's something we have to watch out for as charismatics, that experience isn't everything. Doctrine is our test, not experience. So anyways, um, as a charismatic, I myself, I would say I'm charismatic light. I would say I am skeptical of just weirdness for weirdness sake. I am very skeptical of poor theology. And, um, but still, I have an argument. I have a position as to why I am charismatic coming from the Bible, from the historical, and from practical. So we're going to talk about that for a minute. First, some facts about charismatics. Charismatics often called, uh, you know what the word charismatic means? It means in the Greek, gift. And so charismatic is someone who believes in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Charisma, someone who has the gift or, you know, is charismatically gifted with uh, gifts are like either good looking or they're cool or they're smooth talker. Someone who's charismatic in a sense of not the religious sense, but the dictionary sense. Charismatic just means Greek. Uh, also, charismatics are sometimes often called Pentecostals because we believe in Pentecost, which is the day at which the Holy Spirit was given on that Jewish holiday. Did you know that? And so for the purpose of today's lecture, Pentecostal and charismatic, same exact thing. But if you talk about, talk to someone who's like, really into like the history of the charismatic movement, they'll say that Pentecostal and charismatic are two different things. That the Pentecostal came first and then the charismatic started in the 60s or something like that. But for the purpose of this, charismatic, Pentecostal, same thing. Did you know that there are 382 million Christians who would consider themselves charismatic? One out of every five Christians considers themselves to be charismatic. That seems like a lot to me. I'm like, I mean, I'm at New Life surrounded by other charismatics, but with all my church experience, it seems like a lot. I was like, wow, I was, I, was, I was impressed to find that, that one out of every five Christians is charismatic. And so let's look at the, the biblical argument. Let's look at the Bible. And, and I'm going to go back to that passage in Hebrews. Uh, turn back to that, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. And that's the passage that says, in the, in the past, God spoke through our forefathers and prophets. So Hebrews 1 chapter 1. And I would say what this passage is about is this passage, first of all, is just a greeting. Because we, we think that maybe Paul is the author of this letter. Paul is writing to a group of Christians who are Jewish, have a Hebrew background. And Paul's just greeting them. 
In the past, God spoke through the the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, uh, through the prophets, uh, uh, Isaiah, Ezekiel. God spoke to them. But listen up, because God has now spoken to us through his son. So I just think that this passage is more of a greeting than a declaration that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are going to stop and God's going to stop speaking. That's how I personally see this passage. And I honestly think, you know, if you flip through the Bible, how many miracles will you find in the Bible? How many times will, will God speak in the Bible? How many uh, prof- prophecies or whole books of prophecy are there in the Bible? I mean, the Bible's chock full of miracles, prophecies, healings, etc. And, and so I really think that the burden of proof that says the charismatic, uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased at a certain age, the burden of proof really is on the cessational argument. And I don't think that this passage alone is enough to say the gifts of the Holy Spirit stopped with a certain age. And so let's look at the other, the other passage in uh, Corinthians. It's 1 Corinthians that 13, that passage about love is the greatest gift. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 8. And I read it before, but I'll read it again. It says, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And then it says, Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. So if you take all three of those, you know, someone, a cessationalist could argue uh, that prophecy ceased, tongues ceased, and you'd also have to say, Well, has knowledge passed away as well? I mean, it's right along with those three. And then it says, For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfection disappears. And then he goes on to talk about, uh, when I was a child, I talked like a child, uh, but, but when he grows up, and then when, he, it seems to me that he's talking about in the heavens, because it says, uh, I shall see face to face. I will know, uh, uh, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Talking about with God, we'll see God face to face. We'll we will know as we are known by God. Has that happened yet? I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I, w- I would say that that's a heavenly thing. So that in heaven, prophecies will cease, tongues will cease. I would say, you know, if you're in heaven and literally God is there, why would you need to prophesy about what God's saying? You're just like, just, just ask him. You don't need to talk to a prophet to see what God is saying. He's right there. So in heaven, when all perfection comes, prophecies will te- cease tongues will cease. But the point of this passage, love won't cease. In heaven, God will still love us. Love will be there. That's pretty cool. And so to me, this passage is about the unfailingness of love, not that there will come an age at which prophecies will cease, tongues will cease, and knowledge will pass away. That's how I see it. Um, And so I'm looking for, if if in the Bible it's just so full of miracles, healings, um, words from God, listening to God, prayer that is, that is, both ways. Um, I think that the burden of proof really is on a non-charismatic position that says the gifts ceased at a certain age. And so let's look at the historical evidences real quick. As we looked at when, when, I, when I showed you the, the historical evidence that the, the gifts of the Spirit may have stopped, you can find what you want to find in history. You could find different quotes from different people saying, some saying, I think the gifts have ceased, some saying, the gifts hasn't ceased. We're speaking in tongues right here. We're prophesying right here. And so on the back of your skillet is always a sweet quote. The sweet quote of, of today is by Justin Martyr. His last name is Martyr, not because it's a cool name, but because he was martyred. Uh, and, uh, and he lived in 150 AD, right around the time when supposedly the apostolic age 
uh, came to an end and the gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased. But he says, Justin Martyr in 150 says, for the prophetical gifts remain with us even to this present time. And we go further in history with Irenaeus in 180, supposedly well after the apostolic age. Irenaeus says this, and a quote, in a like manner, we do also share, hear my brethren in churches who possess prophetic gifts and who through the Spirit speak in all kinds of languages and bring the light of the general benefit, the hidden things of men and declare the mysteries of God. So here's, here's prophesying and speaking in tongues in 180 AD. Irenaeus is saying, we, we hear of churches, of brethren, doing these things. St. Patrick. Anybody heard of St. Patrick? He's a pretty cool dude. Uh, uh, he lived in 400 AD, and uh, he said that he had a dream in which he records hearing a strange, la- strange language being prayed by the Holy Spirit in a dream. And then you move ahead to the early Middle Ages. Have you ever heard of the Moravians? If you know David Perkins, he always starts talking about the Moravians. Uh, they're a really cool group of people who lived in the very early Middle Ages, had a hundred-year prayer meeting, and they uh, spoke in tongues, commonly bro- broke into disconnected jargon, which there were evacuations of the Spirit. And so the Moravians, speaking in tongues, prophesying over each other in the early Middle Ages, the late Middle Ages, actually the 1600s, past the Middle Ages, the, the Quakers, have you heard of the Quakers? The oatmeal people? <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, they, were, they were a denomination. Actually, I think they did. I think they were, they, do they, there's got to be some history there. You should Wikipedia that later with the Quakers and the oatmeal. But the Quakers were a denomination that uh, said in the 1600s, we spoke with new tongues as the Lord gave us utterance and his spirit led us. And so if you're looking in history, trying to find, were there ever miracles happening throughout history? Were there ever people prophesying, speaking in tongues, uh, concerned with the gifts of the spirit? You'll find it. If you're looking in history to find quotes of people saying, I think the gifts have stopped, you know what? You're going to find it as well. And so I, I, I just think, here's people, you know, Augustine, his quote was, I, I think the gifts have stopped. But the Moravians are saying, here we are speaking in tongues. And so it's, one is saying, I think the gifts have stopped. And the others are saying, I'm, I'm speaking in tongues, I'm prophesying. And so did you know that a saint, you know what it requires to be a saint in the Catholic Church? It requires a couple different things, but one of them is you have to perform a miracle. And so if we look at the sainthood of the Catholic Church, there were saints all the way back to St. Peter, all the way up until now, there's still sainthooding people. And you, you have to be around a miracle to be sainted. And so we could look throughout history and say, there was all these miracles happening as recorded even by the Catholic Church, that the miracles never stopped. Prophecies never stopped. The gifts of the Holy Spirit never stopped in history. And so, that's that point. Do you see that so far? From the biblical standpoint, from the historical standpoint, and now the practical argument. I think, um, I think we as charismatics um, often have to defend ourselves with the weird stuff that we just talked about. Charismatics doing weird stuff, we have to apologize for the miracle coins, the spitting on people, the, you know, the blatant you know, prophecies that are not true, etc., etc. But... Um, I would say this. Uh, I would say that despite those weird things, God is still speaking today because we could see that. Um, I know that I could see that in my life. I know that, you know, the, the gospel is considered foolishness to those who do not believe, right? Foolishness. Uh, at, the, at the beginning, in Acts chapter 2, when the disciples started speaking in tongues, do you know what the people thought of them? They thought they were all drunk. Is that weird? 
yeah, that's weird to accuse someone of being drunk because they're doing something religious. That's a weird thing. But despite that, I mean, so I think just to throw out the whole charismatic movement because there's some weird stuff is not the intention of the Bible. In fact, Paul says in here, he, he, he rebukes the Corinthians because of disorganization in their services that, you know, everybody's speaking in tongues all at once and no one's interpreting it. And they're like, one person is louder than the others, et cetera, et cetera. And he says, one at a time, d- do it with order, and then he says, he says, do not, where's that verse? Do not forbid the speaking in tongues. That's 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty nine. So, you know, all this weird stuff is happening in, in the church of Corinth. And yet Paul still says, don't forbid it though. Even though there's some weird stuff, organize the weird stuff. Don't just forbid the speaking of tongues. And he goes on further and says, follow the way of love. This is 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Where he says, follow the way of love, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. That we should eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And I think as, as charismatics, we sometimes have to ask the, answer the question uh, to our friends who are cessationalists. They'll say, do I have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to be saved? Do I have to speak in uh, tongues to be saved? Do I have to prophesy in order to be saved? Do I have to pray for miracles? Or whatever they believe, that, whatever they think that we believe, they ask us, do, we have, do I have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit or speak in tongues in order to be saved? And the answer is, no. You don't have to have to be saved. You have to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. That's, that's what salvation means. And then we talk about gifts of the Holy Spirit, accepting gifts. And so do you have to have gifts of the Holy Spirit in order to be saved? No. You have everything you need for salvation when you get saved. But the gifts are like, I mean, who doesn't want a good gift? Does anybody not want a gift? <laughs> if I, I got a gift back here for you. Anybody not want it? No, you'd all be like, all right, what's, what do you got back there? What do you, what do you got? I think about it this way. Like if, you, if it's like Christmas time, you got some kids or something, they're excited to receive gifts, right? Do they need those gifts to live? No. I mean, unless you're, unless you're like trying to teach your kid a lesson and you're like, <laughs> you get them like a gallon of water. You're going to need this gift. <laughs> In three days when you're really thirsty, you're going to want the water more than the Xbox. I guarantee it. <laughs> That'd be messed up. You, you have everything. <laughs> That'd be really messed up. <laughs> be a good lesson about needs and wants. Anyways, you have everything you need for salvation when you get saved, but there are gifts on top of that, good gifts that God wants to give. And I, and I I can't see from scripture that the gifts have ceased. I can't see from history that the gifts have ceased. And I don't think the practical argument of just saying charismatic stuff is weird is enough to say, oh, they must have ceased back then, and charismatics are weird because they're making it up and faking it. Um, I, I, I don't see it that way. I, I, see, I see it as their gifts of the Holy Spirit are, are just that, gifts. And so um, I'm going to close with the, sto- the story of, of my, um, how I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But before I do so, I just want to say, if this stuff is brand new to you, that's okay. Um, and, and next week, we're going to talk about the gift of tongues because that gift alone is probably the weirdest. It's probably the stumbling block for non-charismatics. Because I know plenty of non-charismatics, I know plenty of cessationalists, I have some Baptist friends that 
will, um, <clears throat> that tongues is the big hang up for them. Prophecies, they're not that hung up on prophecies because you could, you could tell them something and say, you know, I, I feel like God wants to tell you that he's happy with you. And he'll say, yeah, that, that's cool. I, I, yeah, I agree with that. But, but, and that's kind of a prophecy. If, if you look at it for what it is, you know, he's okay with that. He's okay with, let's go to the hospital and pray for your sick friend. Let's pray that they're healed. He's okay with that. But as soon as I, I bring up speaking in tongues, he's just like, whoa, dude, that's weird, man. That, that stuff ceased with the apostolic age. And so tongues is a really big hang-up for people. And so all next week, I'm going to talk about the gift of tongues, that one gift for the whole hour. And, and so if you're interested in that or you, you have people that you know that are interested in that, bring them. It'll be a safe place. It'll be a non-weird conversation and talk about the gift of tongues. So that laid aside, um, I, I was raised Catholic, like I told you. And then I, I started going to a youth group, a, a Protestant youth group, where it was non-charismatic. It was non, it was non-denominational, non-charismatic. In fact, I even remember my youth pastor saying that if there's miracles, then they're probably fake. And he told me some stories of some healing evangelists to try to heal his back and kind of mess with his shoes, saying one leg was longer. He kind of pulled his shoe out and said, look, this leg's longer. And then he pushed in his shoe and prayed for him. And he's just like, man, that's just it's fakery, you know? And he, so he, he, had, he had his own reasons for believing that the gifts of the Holy Spirit had stopped. And so that was my thinking all the way through high school, a couple years of college, actually six years of my Christian life, I was a cessationalist. I just believed that the gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased with the apostolic age until I went to this Methodist church. Uh, I spent a couple summers in Florida. I went to this Methodist church that was crazy charismatic. I mean, it freaked me out. I had never seen it. I'd never heard of charismatic stuff. I never even saw like people raising their hands. To me, that was weird. And so I went to this church sat through worship. Worship was like, they had this like big room, kind of like this, and worship was in the middle, and everybody was like around the worship band. That's kind of weird, but no big deal. And then they started playing, and everybody was dancing and raising their hands, and I was just used to like more of a Catholic tradition, more of like a Baptist, Presbyterian style of, you know, just singing hymns. And so that really freaked me out. The whole dancing and raising hands thing freaked me out just from the get-go. And then uh, after the worship time, there was like a, a ministry time and some people were prayed for and there was people that, have you ever heard of slain in the spirit? You know what that is? When someone prays for someone else and they fall over and I saw that. I was like, what the heck is this? Uh, and then I heard people praying over each other in tongues and just like, you know, like gibberish. I was like, what is this? And I was just really freaked out by it. But I had a friend who I trusted who actually ha- led me to the Lord way back in high school. His name's Bo Bannister. He's a really cool dude. And so, and so I trusted Bo. I knew that Bo was a Christian. I knew that he was a believer. And, and so I just trusted him. I said, Bo, this is weird stuff. The whole raising the hands, the whole dancing thing, the whole falling over thing. This is all really weird and really new to me. What the heck? <clears throat> and he said, he said something pretty simple. He just said, be open to it. If, if, if this is from God, be open to it. And he said, why don't you do this? You believe in the Bible, right? And I said, yeah, duh. He said, why don't you read every single scripture you can possibly find about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, prophecies, and speaking in tongues. And so I spent the whole summer. That's all. I, I had this big concordance that, of every passage I could find, and I read them in context, all these passages, and God began to open me up to thinking, okay, maybe this, it's definitely weird. No questions about it. It's weird. But maybe it's, there's legitimacy to it. Maybe 
people raising their hands are just passionate about God. Maybe people speaking in tongues are doing it like they did in the Bible, and I was open to it. And so I remember at the end of that summer, uh, at one of those church services, I got prayed for. I said, you know what? I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want to receive gifts uh, of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray for me? And asked the pastor to pray for me. He prayed for me. He said, all right, you should be able to speak in tongues now. And I think he was kind of looking at me like, go for it. I was just kind of looking back like, what do I do? (laughs) It was pretty weird. And then he said, well, why don't you just go, uh, there was like a prayer chapel next door. Why don't you just go to the prayer chapel and and pray to God and and just, and just receive any gift that he wants to give you. No pressure. And so I did that. I thought that was very not weird. And so I just went to the next room and it was just me and God. And I prayed in this little chapel and it was there that for the first time I started speaking in tongues. And I just like slowly just started speaking. I mean, to me, it was me speaking. Uh, I know lots of people have lots of different testimonies, but it was me speaking kind of gibberish, but for me, something spiritual happened, and then I just felt, I just felt a connection with God. Sometimes, you know, I would have to pray for a really long time in order to feel like, oh, wow, I feel God's presence. But for me, when I, when I spoke in tongues in that little chapel, uh, I just felt God's presence. It was just a feeling thing. And for me, it was awesome. It, it revolutionized my Christian walk, my Christian life. And it's been just a really good gift. It's like, did I need to speak in tongues in order to be saved? Did I have to have that? No. It was a gift. And I received it. And it was, it was a good gift. And so I, I just wanted, I know there's lots of you in here that come from lots of different churches, have different perspectives. I know you could probably be a member of New Life for years and not ever hear people speak in tongues or hear, you know, prophetic words because we are a charismatic light church. We're a diet charismatic church. Um, but I would just say, I would say to you what my friend Bo said to me. Be open to it if it's from God and read the Bible. Read every scripture you can and search it out and study it. Let's pray this morning. Father, we do tell you that we are open to you. We are open to your Holy Spirit. God, whatever that looks like in our life, God, we, we say to you, we're, we're open to it. God, if you have something new for us, if you have new gifts for us, God, we just tell you in our, in our own way, we're, we're open to you, to, to receiving gifts from you. And God, we thank you that you do give gifts, that you are a God who loves us, prepares us for ministry. You have something for us. You love us so much that you gave your son to die for us that you have gifts of the Holy Spirit to empower us, to teach us, to encourage us. God, we leave here rejoicing, rejoicing that you are alive and active today, rejoicing that you speak to us in in different ways. You speak to all of us. You use your word, the scripture, use words to us, use visions, use ideas being spoken to our hearts. And we're just so thankful that you are alive We believe that, Father. We believe that you are alive. Your Holy Spirit is working today. And we are so grateful to you, Jesus. We leave here rejoicing. So it's in your name, Father, that we pray. Amen. All right, my friends. You're dismissed. Peace out. High five some people before you roll.